0: I'm John Schrader, and welcome to Watch the Media.
1: Nicholas Haynes will start things, and a ruckus Gregory Jalman-Pazia. in red, and Nicholas sends it across to the back right. So again to Eggleston. this time she guides it to her center, but pulls her off. Only choice outside, fields in there, block back! Quick, big bet! The pass has got its first block of the night. Lawrence Difference does not change. It's 5-4 Nebraska. Lex Rodriguez floats it over. Pass by Eagleson Tights the net. Gets it back. Swings. Blocked back. Nebraska's got three blocks. Lucy Krause, the night of her life so far. It's 13-9 Big Red. Time out, Texas. Now I think volleyball, not just the athletic department, but for the university, is, is an island of excellence. And I think that's good for for any system, if you've got an island, you've got an element that's doing really well, maybe it's your show choir in a high school, maybe it's the debate team in high school, that shows everybody, the history teachers, that shows the assistant uh, principal. You know, We're capable of excellence here and that can be contagious.
0: For nearly 30 years now, John Baylor has been the radio voice of Nebraska volleyball spanning two coaches, five national championships. He spent time in his youth in the Northeast and in Lincoln. He's a Stanford graduate. He tried out for the Cardinal baseball team, but alas, that didn't work out so well. He's tried acting, he's done comedy, he's done sports talk, minor league baseball. For scores of Husker fans, he's the volleyball guy. By Melanie Parra. This time it's in. Pass made. Jack back. Right side. Crazy for the
1: match. She did it. They did it. Can you believe it? Call the grandkids. Nebraska beats Texas. Nebraska takes down Texas. Your Oscars back where they belong. The final vote. Go celebrate, Nebraska. Go celebrate. I am serious about this when I talk to young broadcasters, A, do it your way, and B, if you can be entertaining, please do so. Because we have so many really talented, highly competent, extremely knowledgeable broadcasters who don't you know, try to have fun, throw in
0: analogies, crack
1: jokes, you know, add humor.
0: John Baylor is a teacher. His On to College program has helped scores of young people get into college and get there with more scholarship money, better opportunities. I'm a
1: believer that we rise and fall at the level of our environmental expectations. I and mean, the expectations are, you know what? Math does matter. Reading does matter. Grammar does matter. Guess
0: what? You get what you measure. I chatted with John Baylor just weeks after the Huskers lost to Wisconsin in the NCAA Volleyball Championship. Just
1: not the Hollywood ending that Husker fans wanted. And the Big Red jogs off the floor with their heads held high and applause from the Wisconsin fans as they jog past them. And Wisconsin now hugging a harder national championship for One of the great collections of volleyball talent at this level. Dana Redke, Sydney Helley do get their championship in their third try and their fifth season. A rivalry built on respect goes Wisconsin's way tonight. And the Badgers have their first championship. Stay right there. We'll have some post-match conversation. You're listening to the Huskers Radio Network.
0: John Baylor the voice of Nebraska Volleyball and so much more and we're going to talk about some of that so much more as uh, as we go along here but first of all the volleyball season is just over it's just done I know what this is like when you have a long season and you're pounding 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 then it's over you don't have another game for several months what's that feeling like especially the way it ended this year
1: Oh, it feels like a bit of a vacuum that needs to be filled that, uh, you know, you anticipate there'll be another game and it can feel a little uh, sad when it ends, when the journey's fun, when you've got a nightmare season, it's thrilling when the season's over. But with Nebraska volleyball, you never have one of those. So sure, uh, it's a time to refuel and a time to reminisce and think about uh, what a fun journey it was and lessons learned and get excited about the upcoming season. But for now, I, I don't anticipate doing much on air until the next season. That's sort of the, the situation I'm in as an independent contractor. I do Nebraska volleyball and then sparingly a few other things. But, yeah, you're, you're right, John. It's a downtime for me.
0: So this volleyball season ended with a fifth set, literally in the ultimate moment of the season it it ends in the fifth set of the championship match it cannot go any further do you as a broadcaster get so invested in that that you feel as disappointed as the people around the program you are part of the program but you're sort of on the edge of it
1: yeah i doubt anyone cares as much as the people actually wearing the jerseys and who spend 24 7 uh, investing themselves in building this culture, creating this opportunity, and then to be so close and not get it so difficult. It's kind of like growing up a Nebraska football fan in the in the '70s and '80s and uh, mid '70s and '80s, and uh, a Red Sox fan in the in the '70s. And then 80s, both of which I was, which built character, by the way, because you rarely had an off year. You rarely had a year where you didn't at least momentarily believe that a championship was possible. And that's tougher than being a Cubs fan, right? Where, you know, year after year, it's, like, it's over by May 15th, so you can kind of relax, maybe go to a few afternoon games. And you're not really, you know, you hope they win that day, but there's nothing really in the, in the large spectrum at stake. Whereas with Nebraska volleyball, there's there's always often a a real chance at winning a national championship and then to be there and it slips away for the second time in four seasons. That hurts. Yeah, it hurts me. Not nearly as much as the people who
0: do it every day for whom I have profound respect. This is a program that, as you say, is a national championship contender every single year. They put in a bunch of kids this year. He brought in a bunch of kids this year. Some people thought maybe back in September, October, this wasn't going to happen, but then they get better and better and better. I guess this is a little off-the-broadcast thing, but what is the magic of John Cook? What is it that makes the John Cook thing work so well? Well, he has the respect
1: of everyone around him, and rightfully so, in part because he's such an expert, he's always reinventing himself, he's always studying, learning, reading, and he's indefatigable. He is as tireless a worker as you'll ever see. So when you're a part of that ecosystem, you only want to do your best. And so he's established that, inheriting it from Terry Pettit, and anyone who serves as an secretary who answers the phone to a trainer to a broadcaster feels okay when I'm a part of this I'm gonna give it my all because that's what the leader is doing and so to put the jersey on forget about that to, to get even recruited you've got to recognize that is the expectation and it's not for everybody what we're seeing is more and more young people want it I mean, Nebraska is now getting the very best recruits and that was not the case for a while there I think for a while there, there was a sense, you know what? Hey, let's go to UCLA, have some fun, be anonymous, pressure's a lot less. Hey, they're having a lot of of fun down there at Texas. Hey, great town, great, great town, great, great opportunity. Nebraska looks a little serious. Uh, Sure, they'll train well, but I don't know if we're going to have a lot of fun. Well, now we got it all. And um, you get the training, um, you get... The future, they all turn pro if they want to, basically, many of them on the national team, and you get to win a lot and, by the way, be this incredible celebrity while you're here and if you stick around even after the fact. I think the young person with a feel in, a, in, a, in a world where their lives are filled with distractions, I think, crave more than their predecessors, an environment that's all immersive. And that's what Nebraska volleyball is. I think that's part of the reason we're getting these great recruits is 20-year-olds. Kelsey Robinson kind of showed the way. You know what? I don't want this thing at Tennessee. I want everything. And Nebraska offers everything. And we're seeing more and more Kelsey Robinsons who don't just transfer
0: here. They decide in ninth grade they want to be here. So when you talk to broadcasters, and I know you do, uh, around the country, they come here, you go there. What do they talk about? the experience at Devaney center and what's that like when they come into a place that's always full and always into it
1: with great respect it's unlike what they have they wish they had it everyone's trying to replicate the Devaney center the illinois athletic director came with his team this year to kick the tires and they're looking at renovating Huff Hall or probably moving to a new location, which I wouldn't i discourage them from doing. I'd take that beautiful old edifice and, and make it your longtime volleyball home. But uh there, there are very few places that that can create that kind of noise and kind of energy and uh everyone's chasing it and a few people are close. Wisconsin's awfully close, Texas is awfully close. It's far as creating that game day environment. In a sport like volleyball, which has been an afterthought in a lot of athletic administrative offices for decades, uh, to finally have symbols of excellence that rival what basketball has had for decades, the men's game, in some instances the women's game, uh, makes those of us who love volleyball grateful that finally everyone's realizing the opportunity here and what's possible.
0: I'm going to ask you a question and you're absolutely not obligated to answer this. But from where you sit and you're watching in November and into December and there's three stories about a three and nine football team and one little column over there about volleyball, okay, this is not necessarily pejorative. In this town, Nebraska football is number one. Volleyball is a championship contender. Is Is there any feelings about that you want to don't want to touch that no, not at all it's where the you, you got to follow the money and the money is associated with
1: football you know 90,000 people a game day is worth four or five million dollars and that's that's to the uh university itself and and there's seven of those a year and then the town itself it's worth three or four million in economic activity that's where the money is whereas you know, you miss out on a volleyball match that's Eighty-two hundred fans times seventeen bucks a ticket—that's real money. Plus merchandise and, and concessions—that's real money. But the money is, the, in football, the bell cow is football, and we we got to get that where that belongs. And meanwhile, um, you know, volleyball in part is successful because it has been able to share in the profits of football. I mean, when Terry Pettit built this in the '70s, he would put up signs as people were walking by the Coliseum to the football game. Hey. With your football ticket stub, you get into tonight's volleyball match for free. I mean, that's just a very literal example of how volleyball has been a great beneficiary of football. And and uh, now I think volleyball, not just the athletic department, but for the university, is, is an island of excellence. And I think that's good for for any system. If you've got an island, you've got an element that's doing really well. Maybe it's your show choir in a high school. Maybe it's the debate team in high school. That shows everybody, the history teachers. That shows the assistant uh, principle, you know, we're capable of excellence here and that can be contagious.
0: Did you imagine when you were a young broadcaster that in almost 30 years you would be talking about your three-decade career as a volleyball announcer? Um, so you know, how did this happen? <laughs> I mean, I could spell volleyball
1: when I started, but I did not know the rules, and I certainly had never played. Bill Byrne was the athletic director, and in 1994, while I was a second banana at KLAN Radio, which was on its first year of doing Husker athletic production, so we were doing football, baseball, men's and women's basketball. There was one sport after that first year. KLAN took over the, the production duties that uh, was in the Husker umbrella that was getting broadcast on the radio that was not being done in our building and that was volleyball was being done across town and Bill said the athletic director then brilliant fabulous athletic director in person that he wanted it all under one roof and Terry Pettit said uh well, we're happy with what we're doing and then Bill went to KLAN and said okay we want you guys to do it and Jim Rose my boss and sports director at the time said, well, if we're going to do it, we're going to have this guy named John Baylor do the games. And uh, Bill's like, okay, and he kind of knew me, so he thought, okay, maybe he'll be okay. And then he went to Terry Pettit, and Terry said, no way, who is this guy? And then uh, Jim said, well, you don't have to use him, but then you can't, we're not doing the games. So Jim's really the one who made it happen. Bill backed him up and backed me up and gave me a chance, and Terry was highly skeptical, as he should have been, because I was really bad when I started. And I didn't know the rules, and uh, it took quite a while for me, I think, to me for me to be passable. And I am grateful to this day for the patience everyone showed. How long did it take you,
0: do you believe, to be more than passable?
1: Maybe middle of my second season, the 95 year, thank goodness, about just in time, because I was the national championship team. But yeah, I think it was passable at that point, and I was starting to develop my own style, but... It's a game where you're constantly learning, you're understanding more and more. Uh, a lot of fans who have season tickets don't fully understand what's going on in a volleyball match where you know we go to a basketball game, I have a pretty good idea what's happening there and, uh, and in a football game I have a sense, but you know cover two, cover three, I guess I'm not fully familiar with every term. But volleyball is quite intricate and complicated. So it as a broadcaster do it well, uh, I think it takes it takes some time. Baseball, for example, I think, it takes some time, under, especially if you've never played the game. There's a lot more going on than meets the eye. So uh, I'm my worst critic, but I'd say it took me at least a season and a half.
0: All of us who have done broadcasting with teams, whether it's professional or college, knows there this relationship you build with the coach and the staff and the players. And you know just how far you can go letting inside information out and how far you can go being honest with the audience. Um, Is John Cook the kind of guy who trusts you with all of that kind of information?
1: Yes, but it took a lot of time. But I think to broadcasters, we have to be vaults. We cannot share everything, and you have to not only be a vault and trustworthy, but you also have to use great discretion, because there is information that you should dole out uh, to promote the program and uh, to also ensure your own... um, Credibility, but if if you ever want to be trusted and be and feel like you're part of it rather than just being this necessary extra luggage, you've, you've got to understand that most of the information you're receiving is for background only. Um, but yeah, it took a long time, and but yeah, I've you know, John and I have been doing this together for 20. Let me just say, I've been hanging on his coattails, let's rephrase that for 20, 22 years, and I'm what, uh. Ten years younger and uh i think the next oldest person is 15 years 23 years younger than i so you get a sense of yeah we've got a little bit of similarity that uh, he doesn't necessarily um have with with some of the others at least in age so it's it's a pleasure to uh, be a trusted part of it and i will say this also john is i was a part of a minor league baseball team and i've done other sports Uh, this collegiality you're suggesting between the broadcaster and the team, I think often is a mirage. It's, you are often judged as necessary. That's right. We got to save the front seat on the bus or on the plane for this guy. He's not a part of this. And, but we need him to promote us. And of course, when they interview with you, you know, you're their, their conduit to the, to the public. So they're going to be all nice and all that. But, I don't know a lot of broadcasters who are genuinely close with the coaches. I mean, genuinely close. Uh, with, the, with the players. And I'm not sure that's appropriate, but I just don't want anyone to get a false impression that that's the way it is behind the scenes.
0: So then I guess I'm lucky then. This isn't about me, but I guess I'm lucky. When I did San Jose State football, they let us in and watched the film. We sat down. The coaches told us everything. When I did the San Jose Earthquakes, the coaches let us sit down. We looked at film. They told us everything. They basically let us in on everything and just trusted us that we would never cross the line. Now, either I'm smart enough or lucky enough never to have crossed the line. But I guess I'm lucky then. I'm, I'm sorry your experiences weren't the same.
1: You're you're very fortunate, and maybe I have had atypical experience. I remember calling a, a minor league baseball game. The manager gets thrown out of the game in, like, the third inning. So he's apparently in his office now listening to the game on the radio. And then three innings later, one of the players comes up, and he's normally batting seventh in the lineup. And we just talked for a little while. I mean, it's a long game. You know, he has the numbers and the the um, on-base percentage and the ability to make contact that suggests he might make a good second hitter in the lineup. It's like, he's the kind of guy they might think about as a second hitter in the lineup. I never heard the end of it. I mean, the manager
0: ripped my head off the next day.
1: Oh, you think you run the team? You think you're smarter than the manager? I'm like So
0: uh, it takes all kinds, put yeah, it that way. There you go. Well, don't let the manager listen to your work then. That's the moral of that story, right? <laughs>
1: Served by Rodriguez. Good pass. Hilly the slide. Red key tipping to the floor. The donut was open. Tied at 29. You're right. Our donut is open. But what should happen is Lindsey Krause, the off blocker, should come to the middle of the court to pick up that tip. Instead, she's standing straight up, not ready to play defense. So if she needs to be down low, covering the, the donut middle of the court area.
0: You have an interesting dynamic in your broadcast booth for volleyball in that not only do you have a former player, which is not unusual, but the former player is also the daughter of the head coach. Well, how does that dynamic play and what are some of the particulars of that interesting situation? It's terrific. It's a it's a great opportunity for
1: the, the listeners and for me because she has fabulous access and has the starting lineups and knows what the coaches are thinking when the game begins. And then in post game, Lauren is very, very candid with her own father. And sometimes I have to say, look, uh, you know, we don't want any family friction on the air
0: here tonight. <laughs> so, and it's all in great fun. But yeah, I think it adds a lot. It's interesting because in this market, you not only have the daughter of the volleyball coach, you have the SID for the women's basketball team in the booth. And you have the best friend of the head football coach in the booth as well. So I think sometimes as a professional, I sort of say, to be frank with you, and why not, uh, I find that a little bit unsettling because of this sort of inability to to be completely independent. Now, having said that, Mm -hmm. I will agree that while Lauren Cook West does say we and us a lot, which as a professional drives me nuts, but also sometimes she'll say, you know, they've got to stop doing that. What are they doing? They've got to set this better. So she's sort of this, I'm we and this is us and this is our team, but she can also be critical, which I guess is her job. Yeah.
1: Yeah, She gets criticized herself for being excessively critical well, so good. she goes then she, yeah Then she's doing her job yeah i yeah so you're right and theoretically there'd be a conflict of interest and yeah. you should be serving the fans but you know you've got multiple masters if you're you're that close with the people running the program so in theory i understand your your ch- your challenge and 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 discomfort with that john but i think in our particular instance she she walks that line
0: really well mm-hmm. yeah and that's good because she wouldn't survive if she didn't i mean you know she's smart enough to figure out what the job is, right? I mean, she had to learn the job too, like all of us, right? And it, it takes
1: a while. I mean, yeah. I, I think at this point she's quite the broadcasting professional and and if she weren't you know, raising kids and, and doing that, I think she'd have a lot of opportunities beyond volleyball if she chose.
0: With John Baylor... I'm John Schrader, and this is Watch the Media.
1: National title match. It's 27 each set two. Huskers won the first. Kenzie Knuckles ran points late set one. Gallops to the inline. Sends it across back left. And a shake pass! Lohberg tried to pass it! Passing worse than a moped on I-80. It's 28-27. Nebraska with its third chance to close this one out in the second set.
0: Uh, John, you've even admitted this in front of our group. You've admitted to anybody that your style is a little bit different than maybe everybody, at least most people. Um, <laughs> w- yeah, right? I mean, that's, I, that's you true. think so? I, I do think, think so. Okay. Yeah, I do think How so. would you describe it? Well, it was, it's, uh, it's unique, <laughs> which is important which is important, how did that style develop?
1: It's who I am. And I decided when I suddenly realized, you know, I don't need the financial um, remuneration that comes with broadcasting to survive. I have my own side business that I was gonna do it my way. And that was just very liberating. And you know, I'll tell you where it started. Remember Al Eshbach? Al Eshbach was a talk radio dude from Kansas City, but he's a legend in Oklahoma City. Lashback—that's his name, right? Okay. Anyway, we're at the 1994 um, Big Eight baseball tournament. Won for like literally 18 years by Oklahoma State. Can you believe that? The yeah. baseball a conference because baseball is something which you have upsets, right? Pitcher gets hot, got you know a couple of hits, an error here and there. 18 straight years they won it. Okay. So anyway, we're, we're talking at lunch on his show, and he was just so irreverent. And I thought that's who I am in real life. I want to be like that. And trust me, I'm not. You know, he's, he's a different guy and a different cat, and that's the only time I met him, and he's passed away. And But that really had an effect on me. Like, you can just have fun and be yourself. You don't have to be this serious um, you know, newscaster who he just happens to be calling sports. That was the first step. Then the second step was when my business took off, and so I, I was really doing this uh, as a choice rather than as a necessity to raise my own family. Both those were liberating factors, and so then over time, my on-air personality increasingly mirrored my off-air personality. Where I crack jokes, I'm irreverent, and, and I'm sarcastic sometimes. And, and so I think that's what they're getting, is they're,
0: they're getting somebody who just happens to have the microphone on. How does that play with the audience, and, and how does, how's your relationship with uh, Husker fans?
1: <laughs> well, unless they're faking me out, I think they, they, they seem <laughs> to dig it. I... Uh, I mean i'm sure i crossed the line i remember this one time i said something in the post game that was a little edgy and there were a few you know emails that the athletic director got but uh i think i understand where the where the line is and that people want to be entertained but they wanted to keep it on sports but now and then i'll throw in sort of fun social commentary about being a dad or teenagers these days or something like that that uh i think adds to it but i i am i am serious about this when i talk to young broadcasters a, do it your way, and B, if you can be entertaining, please do so. Because we have so many really talented, highly competent, extremely knowledgeable broadcasters who don't you know, try to have fun, throw in analogies, crack jokes, you know, add humor very often. I was just watching the best of John Madden moments, mm-hmm. right? Passed away, legendary broadcaster. And you know this is somebody's compilation. Who knows if this is his greatest moments? And I'm thinking, you know, he's. This isn't super funny. It's just so unique in this, in this field, in this you know, in in this profession that someone would kind of crack little jokes. Boom! You know, the pigeon's on the field. You see the receiver. He saw the pigeon and he planted his foot. You know, he's he's just. You're like, he's just having fun with what's going on. He's just releasing himself from the script. Yeah. And that's human. That's what we do all the time. We ad-lib all the time. And that's what he was able to do. And at a time when it was done by so few, I think Terry Romo, Tony Romo does that a little bit, a lot rather, I should say. And I think Lee Corso had his moments when he was younger. And that's why these guys are so well-known is they veer from the script. They have some fun. And sometimes it falls flat, but
0: I applaud anyone who's trying to crack some jokes and make me smile. Yeah. I think having having crossed the, the, the sort of mom-and-pop broadcasting into the corporatization of broadcasting, I sort of have a theory about that, and as the more it became corporate, the more it became run by people who weren't really trained as broadcasters, mm-hmm. then the sort of edginess got lost because everybody had to sort of toe the line and this is what I'm looking for, and this is what you've got to do, and this is where you've got to go with this, and we have our sponsors and our partners to worry about, and, and we can't upset the manager of the baseball team, and we can't upset the owners, and and so then you sort of, you don't want to take a risk, right? And, 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 and to get really good at this, you have to take a risk, right? You have to be risky sometimes. There
1: you go. You want to distinguish yourself from the noise, take a risk. Yeah. Do it your way. I mean, Dennis Miller was a total flop. Yeah. So I'm not saying this will necessarily work. I am saying there has become this sanitized version and formula for success. And these are people who are dramatically more successful than John Baylor in the profession of broadcasting. So be sure you take into account the source of this information before you go crazy with it. But uh, yeah, it, it, when you listen, you when you listen to. A, a broadcast it's remarkable how they almost never double clutch yeah. how they start a sentence and they finish it and then here comes another sentence and they finish that one so these are highly skilled professionals that's not what i'm talking about it's just tony romo has caused quite a stir why he has a stick he like cracks a few jokes he pokes fun at himself maybe i don't know i don't see him very often he maybe talks about his family a little bit that kind of stuff opens the kimono a little bit and i think that's very human and people respond to it
0: I think what happened is is that especially on ESPN as long as we're on this conversation yeah. is that they became so formulaic. You know, they have so much programming to fill and I get it. So much programming to fill. Let's slot in A and B and C and they can do a they can do a basketball game, they can do a baseball game, they can do a football game. Let's put them in the studio. Let's follow the sort of ESPN formula mm-hmm. and it then discourages this originality, this uniqueness and I think Ironically, at this point in the history of the business, we need this entertainment value more than ever because I don't need the announcers to watch a football game. I don't need the announcers. The The replays are there. The graphics are there. The first down and 10 is there. I've got my phone. I don't need you guys. So at a time when we really need entertainers, we don't have many of them. And I I think
1: also there are so many people in our culture that are just holding it together. They're just trying to make ends meet. And it's been accentuated by the last two years of this health crisis we've been in, mental health care crisis. If you can make somebody laugh, they always appreciated that, right? It's so empowering. You know, when you're sitting at lunch and somebody cracks a joke and everyone's laughing, not at somebody, but like, just a fun, isn't this a joyous moment, laugh, deep laugh. If you can do that for a total stranger who's listening to a game, who's already escaped reality, right? Because they're watching a game hence the attraction and appeal of sports. But you accentuate that by recognizing this is an escape. This is entertainment. And you try to double down and say something that doesn't detract from it or make you the center, but rather sort of adds to it makes them think, makes them smile, makes them maybe even belly laugh oh, that's just heaven. And so people, I think, are reacting more than ever to someone who's successful at letting them not just escape through the event, but escape beyond the event because of the mastery of the descriptions of what's happening on the field.
0: And not to get too deep into this, But we are Um, already before the pandemic. uh, Television, uh, Netflix, um, Amazon streaming, binging, uh, watching stuff became more of our community. You know, we don't gather as community people as much as we used to. We don't join clubs, and people don't go to church as often, and we just don't gather as a community as often. So. Herbstreet and Fowler become part of your community or Tony Romo and Jim Nance become part of your community. And you have to make everybody who's watching that feel like they're part of that community. And I think the really brilliant broadcasters always, especially on radio, have always made you feel like you're special. Right. I, I like that.
1: We crave physical interactions more than ever because so much of life now is vicarious. It's witnessing others doing things as we scroll. Uh, it's very hollow existence, and you know, incidents of uh, mental health are up—you mm-hmm. know, 50 percent over um, pre-pandemic uh, incidences. So, yeah, if they can feel like they're at the table with Harry Carey or they're at the table with Jack Buck and and it's an old friend or Vin Scully. Uh, I think that's, that's helpful more than ever. Hi folks, I'm John Baylor, founder On to College. Encouraging you not to pay a dollar more than you have to for your child's two or four year college. Just increase that ACT score. Increasing that ACT score is simply the best paying job a high school student could have. Sign up today for On to College live classes in Omaha and Lincoln or simulcast online to anywhere. Don't pay a dollar more than necessary for your child's two or four year college. On to Hello scholarships. Test day is payday. with
0: on You help kids get to college, right? How did that start? Tell us what that is, first of all, and then how did that become part of your life?
1: It's called On to College, and we help increase entire students, uh, entire high schools, average ACT and SAT scores, and then, of course, individual students as well, and that can be dream-catching because that triggers scholarships, and suddenly college is affordable, but that was all unplanned. I was out in Los Angeles trying to be an actor, And I needed a survival job. You were the only guy in L.A. trying to be an actor. Yeah. A lot of us out there. I was the only one who knew I was trying to be an actor. That's part of the problem. (laughs) I thought I was going to be discovered by baggage Clay, But yeah, when I retired from acting, I was the only one who knew it. Uh, Professional acting. So I needed a survival job. And so I started tutoring. And the family, I was one of the families I was tutoring, said, oh, my kids really like you. Why don't you prepare for the SAT? And I said, okay. And that's how it all started. And then that was my avocation, which helped finance my vocation of broadcasting and acting. And then ultimately, after about 10 years, I flipped it. And so now broadcasting is my avocation when I do that on the side. And my, my true um, job is my business with you know, 20 f- fabulous folks who work with me uh, called On to College that works with more than 700 high schools across the country. It's all online and very affordable way to make sure everybody, not just affluent, young people, but everybody gets the best and entertaining, engaging, life-changing test preparation so they can nail these tests, get into their dream post-high school destination at at the dream price. And so that's really satisfying. And I'll tell you, John, I I made the switch from full-time broadcasting, part-time teacher and entrepreneur to full-time teacher and entrepreneur and part-time broadcaster. When I realized that my sort of life motto of, I want to have fun and make a difference, really applied to my business. Uh, I didn't realize the side thing that I'd built to finance my broadcasting habit uh, actually uh, satisfied that motto and so it's very very gratifying we get to do something that's fun. I sort of cast myself in my own movie. It's a grammar movie, it's a math movie <laughs> and uh, enough of these casting agents who didn't appreciate me and uh, and then I get to have this, you know, immense fun sitting getting a box seat into the greatest show on Terraflex called Nebraska Volleyball.
0: So you create these programs, and the students take it all online. Do you appear on camera? Are you the star of the show? Yeah,
1: Absolutely, I am the star. I'm the lead. It's a a site license that a school or a family will purchase for one year, full access to all the content. There's the English, there's the math, there's the reading, there's the science, ESPN-like graphics. And I'm into the camera delivering the, the course that is the online version, the videotaped version of my live class I've been teaching for uh, 20 years so thank you internet you made this all possible
0: (laughs) who knew right who knew that uh that this would be yeah that this would be the thing if universities stop accepting the act and the sat uh, what are you going to do with this
1: well i think stop requiring it yes Uh, if they stop requiring an ACT score, meaning a subjective standardized test score, when determining who wins Regents scholarships and full tuition scholarships, that would de-emphasize the relevance of this, no question about it. But I I think there's a sense that for those students who do come from less advantaged backgrounds, who don't come from a lot of resources, we have, especially in the state of Nebraska, a plethora of money, need-based aid, chasing those students do we have money that's also rewarding kids for excellence who you know because there is a difference between a 33 and the act and a 23 mm-hmm. there's a big difference between a 32 and a 21 okay just talk to the physics professors yeah. all right I, you know i'm i'm not i don't mean to don't shoot the messenger i'm just saying that there's there, there there is an element of distinction and so i would suggest that uh it's really easy to relax standards i mean that's the human instinct, right? Hey, I don't have to take a final? Okay, you don't have a lot of students saying, whoa, 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 come on, teach, let us have the final, you know, so yeah, hey, you want, it's easy, relaxed standards, it's really tough to preserve them or reinstitute them, and I think that's back to Nebraska volleyball, part of the magic of Nebraska volleyball is we've had two great coaches <clears throat> spanning 20, hold everything here, uh, 50 years, 45 years, and There's a level of expectation that neither one will allow to relax. They could. Oh, my gosh, John Cook could, you know, go off into the sunset his final four or five years and totally relax everything. But that's not who he is. And boy, would that be easy. Um, Instead, I'm a believer that we rise and fall to the level of our environmental expectations. And when the expectations are, you know what? Math does matter. Reading does matter. Grammar does matter. Guess what? You get what you measure. And so I think we need to really assess this national experiment we're currently involved in where suddenly the University of California refuses to even look at a score. Forget about allowing you to to submit one if you choose. No, They won't even look at one. You could be a 34, you can't even submit it. They're just gonna look at your GPA and some essays and some recommendations as subjective as those might, might be and as incomparable as those often are to determine who gets into Berkeley Who gets into UCLA, the school which gets more applicants than any other school in the country? Wow, well, this is quite a national experiment. I hope we're going to pause at some point and realize, A, that's a – we might let the Californians try that, but I'm not sure we want to do that uh, nationwide. I'm not sure that's going to really help our national competitiveness. We're in a big race against a lot of countries economically and in other ways geopolitically and say to ourselves look we got to make sure those with less advantages they're going to get rewarded and they're going to get these opportunities because you're right the barriers they have had are unacceptable and shameful historically and they need access to these life-changing post-high school opportunities but simultaneously we got to make sure that we reward excellence and uphold standards
0: yeah. never has it been more important i mean we're in a decades long transformation of that happened in the end of the 19th century, end of the 20th century as everybody moved from the farms to the cities. Now we're in a life-changing, decades-long transformation of, of who we are, right? Mm-hmm. And after the fact,
1: those people who are, were held to high standards appreciate it more. You, at the, during, in the moment, you're like, dang, I wish I had an easy teacher. <laughs> dang, I wish there were some easy A's being thrown around here. Dang, I wish my CEO wasn't Steve Jobs. But after the fact, you're like, oh, my gosh, I extracted more out of myself than I ever would have had I been in a much more relaxed environment. It's good for the human condition. It's good for the state of Nebraska. It's good for our country. Uh, we, we just It's understandable where this has gone because of what we went through and are going through, and there's been a lot of COVID compassion. I'm saying let's get some perspective here and do what's best for individuals, for communities, for countries. Yeah
0: the the evaluations that i cherish the most are the ones that say he was really hard he's a tough grader mm. i learned a lot yeah. bingo that's our job do we even remember the teachers that were easy no you don't we remember you tell our friends you know he's an easy teacher yeah.
1: we remember mrs hilly who taught me in fourth grade at sheridan school in <laughs> fifth grade because we had morning talks five minutes if you're in fourth grade 10 minutes for you in fifth grade you got up on a topic of your choice that she helped you with and you were the teacher for the day and then the students responded with answers i get chills thinking about it i was petrified of course but what a life-changing moment that made future challenges much more possible because you know what i stood up and gave a morning talk in mrs hilly's
0: class in fifth grade i can do this thanks i appreciate it thanks john John Baylor, entrepreneur, teacher, sports broadcaster, family guy, and our guest this time around on Watch the Media. I'm John Schrader. Oscars one and two in set fives,
1: Wisconsin three and one, Kenzie Knuckles back back out there cool as a cucumber. She's got Lexi and Nicklin in the back row. Krause, Kayla, Maddie, right to left up front. 14 11 Badgers. Served by Kenzie. She goes for it. Pass by Ojo. They're in system. Set outside. And loberg gets dug. Husker volleyball set to the middle. Kayla Caffey tipping. Wisconsin owns it bumps it over to the left low can only free ball it she could have swung she free balled it Nebraska's got a jack back Krause block back covered Again, Nebraska on championship point number three for Wisconsin left side swing Kubik block back covered again the Huskers Nicklin feeds left Kubik another big rip. It's out. No touch And it's point Wisconsin and John cooks pulls out his final green card and that's all he has left to, to try here And see if any hands touch this attack. And this is totally within the realm of sportsmanship. You've got the game.